This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Juliette. Lots to dig into today. Uh, most importantly, we're going to talk about Emily Ratajkowski's essay in New York Magazine's The Cut, which came out today. We're also going to talk about um, Chris Evans's self-leaked, accidentally, photographs of his penis. It's really just one. Um, mm-hmm. Check in on Naomi Osaka, Lewis Hamilton, and Brad Pitt. But first, we want to talk about uh, what Emily Ratajkowski wrote for The Cut, which highly, 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 highly encourage you to read. It's a pretty gripping and harrowing essay about exploitation that she has um, suffered and also rape that she has suffered. And it's pretty stark. And there's really um, so much to discuss related to it. I think the most important part, though, is just to commend her. Um, This is like an amazing act of bravery and courage to write this. Um, And she also names names very specifically, which many women in the Me Too movement did as well and is a really challenging thing to do and takes, it's just extreme risk. Um, And so I really admire her for writing this. Yeah, I completely agree. It is a a really upsetting story in several ways. The first of um, what Jonathan Leader, who is the photographer, um, photographer, um, whom she accuses of assaulting her during a photo shoot um, in this piece. And Juliet, I think you said that um, according to the Daily Mail, he is denying these. Yes. But we actually have not been able to um, find the statement that he provided to the cut if he did, even yeah. though the Daily Mail says that he is. That's correct. The Daily the Daily Mail. So we'll we'll get into the specifics of what she said, but just know that he is denying it. He the the Daily Mail is reporting that the cut is reporting that he denied it and said it was too tawdry to comment on. He also gave a pretty pathetic quote to the Daily Mail accusing um, Emily Ratajkowski of lying, which we won't even reread because it's pathetic. 
but yeah, let's go back to what she had to say. Right. So, so those are the kind of the legally required details that we have to include. But um, she talks about this assault um, and talks about the experience of working with Jonathan Leader and everything that led up to it. And um, and that is, you know, very difficult to read. And then she talks a lot about uh, what happens after and what happens to the photographs and trying to sort through this this situation and um, trying to get some control of the the photographs and all of the kind of legal and institutional hurdles that she faces in trying to deal with this and all of the exploitation, as you said, that she tries, she deals with. And I think she does that in a very like specific and evocative and upsetting way. That's also very illuminating in terms of um, how hard it is in any of these stories for um, women to be taken seriously and the number of hurdles that are up against someone trying to seek any sort of justice or even control over themselves. And what's so interesting is, I mean, one of many things that is interesting um, about this piece is that all of this is told as a part of a larger meditation, um, not just on what ha- on on the assault, though that is a central part of it, but also on what it means to be a model and to own her own photograph and the various levels of exploitation in what she does and 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 in paparazzi photographs and in the legal system at large. And she is um, tying those all together in a very um, expansive and a very sharp and and thorough way. And there is it's it's again, and we keep saying harrowing, upsetting. It is like it's it's a a bleak and difficult piece of writing, um, but also, just a, a really thought provoking piece of writing. Yeah, absolutely. I had read interviews with Emily Ratajkowski before where one of my takeaways was that she was smart, but I honestly like don't really think about her that much. Um, just, I don't know. She's just not like a huge part of the, my celebrity focus personally, but she is like omnipresent. The daily mail has covered her breathlessly for years and she is just, you know, absolutely beautiful, which makes for a lot of, um, beautiful photographs, which we'll talk more about as we dig into the piece. Um, but I, I think that this piece is like pretty astounding. It's one of the most um, engrossing personal essays I've read in a, a really long time. And I don't think it's just because of um, the details or the fact that she's famous. It's just like really, really uh, compelling prose. And it's weird. It's weird to say that when it's when when she's like detailing a, a pretty terrible few years that she had. But I think it's a real again, like a real testament to her intellect and her strength that she's able to to be so um, eloquent and articulate with with communicating what happened to her. And what happened to her is that uh, she's a model who became very famous after appearing in the Blurred Lines video in 2013, the Robin Thicke song absolute jam um and a good a good video and i think that's when she really came to everyone's attention but before not everyone because before that she was also a, a, a model mostly doing photography she she dropped out of ucla moved to new york to pursue modeling and um at the center of this personal essay and her accusations uh, against jonathan leader are that she um 
took a bus up to Woodstock, New York, where he picked her up and they did a shoot, which seemed like, I don't know if you want to call it legitimate or not. It also like really doesn't matter, but he, you know, hired a makeup artist to come to his house and he had her do like a lingerie shoot, which, and then had her also do nudes. He, um, they drank wine and she got drunk, uh, as she says in the piece, um, she drank partially out of nerves, which totally, totally can relate to who can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end and later into the evening after the makeup artist had left and she was like lying on a, on a, a couch with Jonathan leader, um, he sexually assaults her. And then, um, he, t- he kind of what brings this into focus for her is that several years later, he had all of these Polaroids of her that she had consented to for a specific use, which was, which was to be published in a magazine called Darius. And he made several books, photography collections of just photos of her called Emily Ratajkowski and also had um, a gallery show in New York and has profited off this, um, just exploiting her. And she was very young at the time. She was around 20 and it's awful. And, and this is couched in a larger, um, anecdote about who gets to own, um, images of her, which is like just a really incredibly, um, I don't want to say provocative because that makes it sound controversial in any way, but I just found like like a very profound way into this story and like incredibly star- smart about how a uh, kind of like a, a pop artist had taken Instagrams, her Instagrams and painted them basically. And then, ter- and then called, called that art. And so he did painting, painting versions of her Instagram, and then we're selling them for like thousands and thousands of dollars, like what she couldn't even afford. And so it's, you know, this is couched as who gets to own pictures of Emily Ratajkowski and what control does she have over her own visage and her own and her own photographs. Um, but it's obviously so much more about her body. And um, it's like I, I find it like really, really profound and very emotional. I, I, I And I think, you know, um, she exposes a lot of the art industry as well as um, exposing kind of what I think people have like a vague sense of, but like never really understood like the kind of the difficulty of being a model. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty overwhelmed by it. I guess that's, that might be coming through. (laughs) Yeah. I, I agree with everything that you said. I think, you know, there, there are so many moments in it. You mentioned the, the Richard Prince incident and Richard Prince is the photographer who, um, takes other people's photographs and like his whole kind of art stunt, art world controversy, whatever you want to call it. Um, is about reproduction and and ownership and engaging with some of these issues. And so she um, does try to buy it. And then she also gets a study and this all happens with a boyfriend. And then like the kicker of that particular anecdote is that after she and the boyfriend splits up, she asks for the like, you know, one of the other pieces of artwork they've a- acquired to try to regain ownership over some of this. And the boyfriend asks her for $10,000 because he studied the art market and that's its value. I mean, it's, there are, I, <laughs> that you, you can't make that up. And, and that's, that's horrifying in a, in a different way, but it has like really big intellectual thoughts. And it, it talks about an incident with a paparazzi and being sued for posting a paparazzi photo of herself on her own Instagram. And, you know, she writes about it pretty like objectively, I would say, or there's nothing in it that is indicting you, the reader for like having consumed a paparazzi photo of Emily Ratajkowski or anyone else at some point. But I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about my relationship 
to these images. And I and also while I was also thinking about Emily Ratajkowski's relationship to her images and um, and who we hold responsible and how um, what the line between participation and exploitation, which is something that we do talk a lot about in paparazzi photos. This takes it just to to horrifying extremes. But I, I think also Can I say one thing about the participation versus exploitation yeah, piece. Yeah. I, and I think that's a, a great way of putting it. One of the reasons this piece is so compelling is because she begins by being pretty like taken aback, rightfully so, by Richard Prince's work, because not only is he reproducing a photo of her, he's reproducing that photo in situ of the situ being her own Instagram. And so it's not like he's just taking a photo of her where she has, you know, been a participant in an ad campaign or an editorial photo shoot, like in sports illustrated. It's like, he's taking something that she constructed, like, you know, obviously through this platform and then um, like spinning it back out the way that he deems fit without like really permission. And I think that similarly uh, that, that is um, that to me, that's exploitation. Cause it's like taking like uh, something that she has done and, and like kind of taking credit for her work and whatnot. And similarly with the paparazzi sh- photo, which she references at the beginning, that's another situation where like she ha- did not sign up for the work that she does. Like it's, you know, it was a photo of her walking down the street holding flowers and it is a quite an ar- abstract image. Um, it's kind of cool. And again, like there, I think with models and celebrities, cause you, you so almost exclusively see them like doing their work, which is posing for photographs or, you know, acting on television or movies take for granted that they're not always on the clock though to you, they're always a public person. And I think that she does a really, um, subtle job of like illuminating public versus private for someone like her who seems to be like public all the time, but is not totally. And the Instagram one is such an interesting example because Instagram is in a lot of ways, her livelihood, um, because what she chooses to post on Instagram is a way that she furthers her image and thus then gets, um, I mean, money actually tied to Instagram at this point because we all know how influencers works, but also the other campaigns and managing that brand. So she is participating, but there is a difference in like in her participation for herself and everyone else's consumption. But it does become, you know, not slippery, but you lose control so fast. And there is a um, really fascinating line later on when she is trying to regain control of the Polaroids that Jonathan Leader took and is republishing. And a lawyer says to her, like, pretty frankly, that whatever they do legally, the pictures are on the Internet. So it's kind of done. Um, and there is so there are like the legal limitations and also just the way that we all consume media now. It gets away from you very quickly, which is another you know, complicating factor that I think she really weaves into there, there are some aspects of this essay that are really black and white and, and really upsetting. And again, I just want to echo what you said about just like being in awe of someone being brave enough to, to tell this story as directly um, and specifically as she does. And, and, and that is, that's pretty clear, but then she weaves in all of these other kind of existential questions about, you know, do I own my image and what is my image and how much is my image um, an extension of myself versus something that um, other people can can buy and sell. And when you put it like that, the answer seems pretty clear. 
But there are entire systems and economies built on like blurring that idea. And there are a lot of people at the who get lost in the center of it. Yeah, it went completely. And also, I think like it's like a vague concept in pop culture that like the way that models get work at a young age is like very sketchy and and I think probably frequently exploitative, especially if you don't have like a family with experience in the industry. And she makes that very clear. Like she points out that very often models don't even like sign releases for the jobs their agents do. So like their agents are who, you know, aren't on site and just take a cut of what they're doing. Just enough that they're all pernicious, but very frequently just like sign them up for stuff that then they like, just doesn't matter to them. Like they get to like, just move on. And that's that. Whereas these, these often women, but also men have to go through something uncomfortable or something that is like very intimate or just is like uncommon. Like I, you know, it's just, um, that was a, that was a, a tough piece part of this as well as like for her whole career there's been questions of like what she has control over and like what she herself has agency over and so it's, a, it's a whole structure and you know it really gets back to what was at the heart of the me too movement when the initial harvey weinstein revelations came out and all of the testimonials since and all of the really brave women who have spoken to it on the record and off the record as well it's just like this is so much about power and throughout her piece she is negotiating with men who like just assume they have this power over her and she uh y- you know it, it reminded me of a lot of classic um heroines and in, in uh fiction throughout the years where it's like she acknowledges that she will get more power herself and and more agency through money which is like a a sick reality but it's cool to see this woman growing and like also growing her wealth so that she's able to have more power should it be that way no but like there's just so many reasons to commend her and it's it's just like a really overwhelming piece i really recommend it i think also just for for me and i suspect for you amanda we're so used to looking at paparazzi photos of her. Like they are in the mm-hmm. daily mail constantly. They have been for years and it's like pretty sick. There's also a club in Los Angeles. I think it's closed. I mean, it's probably closed now, but like there was a club in Hollywood where there was like a giant, like 12 foot tall naked photo of Emily Ratajkowski on the wall. When you walked in, I think it was called Warwick. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and it's just like sick. And so, you know, it, um, I, I think we both like, particularly in the light of Harry, Harry and Meghan, but like even with like the account Dome Wall, which we talked about a few weeks ago, just sort of like unauthorized paparazzi photos, like are just like increasingly like, how do I defend looking at them? You know? And we've talked a lot about it with Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck as well. And that's another one where I think sometimes maybe not hide behind, but I certainly personally, I can only speak for myself and how I consume these photos, which I do. I consume them like all of the time. I consume them without thinking about it. It is part of the the ecosystem of it just gets put in. Well, that's you know what? That's too passive. It's not that it just gets put in front of me, but it's they're very easy to find and I don't really examine it. But I think I think in terms of Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas do seem to be aware of the paparazzi. And to some extent, I think we've used that word like, quote, participate before. Right. And I think you and I do also know that there is an economy and a type of celebrity that maybe works with the paparazzi to some extent, because there is um, a reciprocal, there can be a reciprocal relationship where if you have a lot of photos taken of you, then your profile is raised and then you're able to get more opportunities. And so I think sometimes I think in my head, well, if they're choosing to do that, then it's like, 
okay for me to consume all of these photos. But it's obviously not that simple. And I mean, it just obviously is that there are a lot of people who are not participating or they are um, not participating on terms that are comfortable to them. And it, I mean, it is, it's voyeuristic, it's exploitative. And, and I think you and I have both been trying to think about how we can be more responsible consumers of this stuff. And I, I don't know what responsible looks like in that context. Yeah. I also think that there's just like this question of public versus private. And it's like, I said this a few minutes ago, but like, you know, to me, Emily Ratajkowski is like constantly public. And that's not only because I only know her as like a public figure, but also because there there's an onslaught of photos of her every day. Mm-hmm. And but like that is a, that's a fiction that is created by tabloids, right? Like Emily Ratajkowski doesn't live her life every moment being like I could be photographed. And obviously it actually really weighs on her. Um so I think, and I think that kind of like public versus private question obviously then trickles down to individuals who like you post stuff about yourself on Instagram and it's just sort of like a fun thing that you think about maybe for three seconds, but then it's like committed to this public record and it's like on mm-hmm. a platform where other people have access to your info. And, um, I don't know. I, there's just like, I, I think one of the reasons I'm in so in awe of what she wrote, like there's just a lot of different things to, to discuss and dissect. And it's just really thought provoking because she touches on so many things. And I I think, you know, at the center of it is the sexual assault, which cannot be overlooked. And is you know, um, even, even though he is denying it, clearly she went through a incredibly terrible, uh, violation. And, um, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And you know, it's, it's, I really admire her for doing this so much. This episode is brought to you by eBay authenticity guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of reals always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. And we, we were just talking before this started, before our pod started about like, it's kind of crazy to look at this and how she's fighting to um, figure out her relationship to her personal visage and not mm-hmm. only photos of her more like, meanwhile, on the, the sort of the other end of the celebrity spectrum right now is like this joke story about Chris Evans accidentally leaking a, a photo of his own dick. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I guess have we can, we, we can't confirm a hundred percent that it is those situations. He said, he, would, I, he, I believe he, he admit. Yeah. I, I believe, okay. uh, on Tamron Hall's show, he, okay, he did basically confirmed it. Yeah. And, okay. uh, then encourage people to vote. But it's just like, it's obviously, it's obviously not apples to apples in any way. Like he accidentally dropped, like yeah. leaked a photo of himself. Of, and of then his dick specifically. Yes. And I think it's just like, it's an um, important point. And I think a, a, a point in general and that Emily Ratajkowski's essay gets at so well is that like, none of it is apples to apples. Like all of these situations are um, really unique and we need to like apply thought to all of them um and 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 engage as the situations demand but yeah it was at the end of the day they are private photos of two people that were put on the internet uh unintentionally and not just how they're received though i i do think that that is somewhat worth talking about and there probably is some sort of double standard gender wise and all of that though again like the context makes it a bit different but just kind of the the emotion the burden that each situation has to carry that chris evans's situation like gets to be a joke and that he just laughs it off with and now that i have your attention vote on november 3rd which by the way vote on november 3rd um and and i thought that that was honestly like a pretty apt response to the situation but that it is easier for him to brush it off is worth investigating. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris Evans, certainly the subject of paparazzi photos, as we've been discussing, he may or may not be dating Lily James as they spend time Mm -hmm. together in England. Um, He also is like one of the most famous people in the world, probably as a result of playing Captain America in Marvel movies. Probably. I mean, I think Captain America is really famous. Right. And I wonder how many people are like, well, I think probably a lot as we discovered this weekend are investing in Chris Evans separately yeah. from Captain America, but yeah, a built-in fan base for sure. He's super famous and we've been aware of his uh, relationships and like goings on for many years. I mean, we talk about him frequently. I also happen to love Chris Evans. I just think he's like a great celebrity and think he seems like a really fun hang and like, there's just, but there's just like an air of fun around Chris Evans though you know, we mostly talk about him as it relates not to his acting work or or his activism, but like as his relationships. But like that's, you know, that's just sort of like the context in which Chris Evans comes to this podcast. And I think he largely is known as Captain America. Um, and he's objectified in his own ways. Like we objectify him as like who is Chris Evans dating and not. And I certainly don't talk about his activism very frequently um, slash at all. But it just becomes like a joke that his dick is out there for everyone to see if you look for it on Twitter um, or or your social social media platform of choice. And it becomes a talking point on Tamron Hall's talk show. And Mm -hmm. then it becomes, there's many associated memes 
And then we move on. And like, it, it feels like he has much more control over this than Emily Ratajkowski does over her, all of the, all of the images of her out there. And there's a clear struggle that's a little hard to define that she faces. I mean, it's not that hard. It's related to power structures for men versus women. But there's just, there's there's a levity that Chris Evans is afforded and he also affords himself that just does not apply to Emily Ratajkowski, who is, you know, in her career is the victim of assault and has to struggle to to get claim over photos she didn't even authorize to be used this way. And it's just a very maddening double standard. It's even hard to describe. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, the only thing that we should say is that the Chris Evans thing, some of the levity comes from the fact that it was like an accident and he deletes it and everyone's like, oh, like you got caught. And so... You're there right. is th- well, but but that even that is complicated because th- like that's like a little bit funny and it's a little bit of because he is the one that posted himself instead of, for example, it being leaked as part of some hack, which is a thing that happened to um, Jennifer Lawrence, among other celebrities a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and Emily Ratajkowski. Yes. But at, like somehow the sense of violation from the very start isn't there. But everything after that, you know, at the end of the day, both pictures are on the Internet. It's the same thing that the lawyer says, and it applies to both. And it's so what we're really doing is like a sociological reading of how people respond to it, like on the Internet. And that is always just very dicey. And I think um, but because who are all the people on the Internet? You can't you can never know and you can't hold like everyone accountable for a bunch of anonymous accounts, but there's a market difference. There is. And, and, and some of it has to be because like, whether it's some puritanical thing or whether I I think it's because the way Chris Evans is a man is identified as a sex object is the way that uh, Emily Ratajkowski as a woman is identified as a sex object. The way that we understand male and female sex objects in this country or in this internet culture is still very different. Um, yeah. and there is definitely is a double standard in that. And so it's easier for the captain, the Chris Evans thing to become a joke. I mean, I, I, I do think that like, even within the context of the last Avengers movie, there was like a whole joke about captain America's butt, like within the movie. And yes, there was. don't get me, don't, don't get me wrong. It's a really nice, butt, and I had a great time with the jokes, but there is ultimately something in just how we respond to the sexualization of of men and women and to what extent we allow them to assign their own control over it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that also Chris Evans, even when he's like hanging out on the side of a, of a red carpet, waiting for Jenny slate to finish her press obligations as he was five years ago, it's just afforded a level of privacy and like, kind of like remove that. I don't think Emily Ratajkowski gets and like, I don't think I've ever really thought or discussed with you on this pod. Like, were those Emily Ratajkowski photos staged? Like, were those pop, like, you know, you know, like, we we don't, like, consider that. Like, we just are like, yeah, she's a paparazzi target and just, like, keep it moving. Chris Evans shows up in some paparazzi photos and, like, there's so much disbelief that we're like, are those staged, you know? Like, it's just sort of a different economy around the two of them. And I do think a lot of it is, like, respect and commodification because, Lord knows Chris Evans has been commodified. I mean, Captain America and Marvel, the definition of commodification, right? But it's like less personal with him. 
Yeah, and and I do think that's a little bit because he is in the Marvel machine, and so he's commodified through a movie and through action figures, and yeah, very commodified mediated. as Captain America, and she is commodified as a model, and 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 it is her, and she is part of that like super personality, myself driven um, genre of fame that is specific both to models and to like you know influencer Instagram, and I would say that she kind of has the she's both in the Venn diagram. So, and, and she does, you know, examine some of that in the piece and that's a relatively new area of fame, even though I think we've been living in it for like a decade now, I think you can like you trace it back to reality TV and then the Kardashians, but your favorite people I know, Juliet, but it's, um, the lines get blurrier or maybe they don't get blurrier, but I think we as consumers um, get either lazier or kind of just don't examine the situation and just kind of take things at face value. And I think what we're always talking about is jam- on Jam Session is that you're not supposed to just take things at face value. You check the sources, you analyze the context, you think about kind of how this information is being given to you. Um, and there's kind of an ubiquity to that type of celebrity that I don't examine as much as I should probably. I think you're right. I need to do an examination to the history of paparazzi photos. I'm sure it relates to the growth of Los Angeles as a as a cultural hub. But it's yeah. just like something as as we're sitting here, I'm just like thinking about like where did this? Obviously, I know I know how it's thrived through tabloids, um, both print and online, and you know the last thirty years. But it's not like this always happened. You know, it's not like there right. was always photographers trailing famous people. Celebrity obviously evolved as Hollywood evolved, but it's almost like a given that, that like this kind of culture exists. And I've been so enmeshed in it like my whole life. I've always like loved celebrities and loved pop culture. But, um, you know, I think, I think that just like the line is so blurry and, and has been totally erased between like what's acceptable and what's not. And, um, it's a kind of crazy that like Harry and Megan seem like bad people for pushing it back against paparazzi stuff sometimes. Like to even say it sounds laughable, but I don't know. It's just uh this is I just encourage you to read her piece. Nothing that we say could could really capture how effective and moving it is. So check it out. Yeah. New York magazine, the cut. Agree. Let's move on. Let's celebrate some people. Let's begin with Naomi Osaka, US Open US champion. Open champion. Yeah, U.S. Open champion. Why do I say Open? <laughs> U.S. Open champion Naomi Osaka. Let me tell you, the women's half of the U.S. Open this year was so inspiring. I loved it. I had the time of my life. Serena Williams, my longtime hero, made it to the semifinals, and then she um, had a tremendous match. She ultimately lost to Victoria Azarenka. Juliet, I don't know if you are familiar with Victoria Azarenka. Vika, of course. Vika, right. But so Vika was kind of like a big women's tennis star and at the, you know, top seeded, top ranked in the first half of the decade and then had to take some time back from tennis primarily because she was involved in a really, really tough custody battle. And part of the, the custody battle prevented her from traveling to be in other tournaments because she wanted to be with her son, Leo. And that took a toll, obviously, on her ability to even do her day job, which is playing tennis. And also, you know, that's a tough situation to go through. But her game is back and she was on an 
absolutely incredible run. And there were a couple sets. I'm sorry, I won't do full like Chrissy Everett tennis the whole time. But That's like okay. watching w- watching Vika in a couple sets in the the semifinals and also in the first set of the final was like she ascended to an astral plane. It was so exciting. And I will just say that the semifinal where she played against Serena Williams, who is also a mother of a young child, like to see these two women playing at this level and, you know, they are also mothers and have come back for it. I I thought it was rad. I thought it was so exciting. And maybe ESPN leaned a little bit too much into the battle of the mom stuff, but also think about how rarely you see totally. two professional athletes who have come who have given done a physical feat, which is giving birth, which is his own amazing athletic challenge, and then are playing at the top of their game. It was amazing. Vika won. She played Naomi Osaka. We talked last week about how Naomi Osaka has been using the U.S. Open to speak out about Black Lives Matter and police brutality. And she, um, at each match, she wore a mask with the name of someone who was killed by police violence. And... It was really moving. And then at the end, she won. And she had also, after winning a couple tournaments in 2018, 2019, like her game wasn't where it should be. And so this was also kind of a comeback. And for her to be playing as well as she did while also just managing a really high profile platform and message. And again, tennis is an individual sport. So it's her at some point. And it's like they were in a bubble. So I was thinking about as the tournament went on, the bubble just got smaller and smaller. And it's just you alone. Um, Tremendous, inspiring stuff. I loved it. It was just really cool to see. I mean, we talked about it last time, but she also like she doesn't suffer any stupid questions. Like when asked like what she was what she was trying to say, like she her response was like, what like, you know, what do you think I'm trying to say? Yeah. She was like, the thing is like, what do you think um, I mean by it? Yeah. Um, and that's a, uh, that's, that's like something that actually hasn't been said aloud. Like sort mm-hmm. of, I'm not doing the work for you. Like tell, you know, why don't you guys tell me what you see here? And I think that's cool. I don't know. It's just exciting for, to just for her to have this profile, this platform and to use it the way that she does. Yeah. And just also to figure out how she is going to be, what kind of major, like world famous athlete she's going to be and how she's going to use it. it. It's very funny. Like I thought ESPN um, did like, oh, wow. I'm oh, sorry. Um, I thought ESPN did like a pretty good job of talking about um, her message and the, and the tournament and uh, how she was handling things. But They've always been a little bit flummoxed by Naomi Osaka as a personality because she's not like the type A, like loud, aggressive, like hyper outwardly, like outwardly hyper competitive athlete that we, I think, like associate especially with individual athletes. And so, you know, soft-spoken gets used a lot and like shy gets used a lot, which to me kind of always edges into racial stereotyping. But I I think that she just has a different type of personality and engages with the world in different ways. And to watch her make space for that and make everyone just be like, okay, we're going to talk about this on my terms and you're going to think about it as I think about it. And you are going to... um invest in me as a athlete and as a celebrity, the way that I'm comfortable is 
tremendous. It's really a point. And, you know, she won't tailor this to a certain audience or a certain crowd. And it's pretty cool. Um, Similarly, Lewis Hamilton, who I've now come to really understand is one of the most famous people in Europe and Mm -hmm. really, like, I guess the world. He's like really, really famous. He, it's and now that I've invested in Formula One, I understand it. Um, he has been wearing uh, Black Lives Matters t-shirts to all of the races in Formula One. And this past weekend, he wore one that said "Arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor." And for some reason, there was like a press release that went out yesterday or today that was like Lewis Hamilton will not face discipline for wearing this t-shirt. And like that just tells you like all you need to know about Formula One, which is like okay, cool. Uh, I didn't ask. I I guess some of the Formula One crowd did, but um, not all of the Formula One drivers have been united in, um, you know, kneeling. They've all worn worn shirts like, say, end racism or Black Lives Matter. But Lewis and uh, about two thirds of the drivers like kneel before the races, Mm -hmm. but not all of them. And for some reason, they released a statement being like, Lewis Hamilton will not be disciplined or investigated. And it's like, cool, cool, cool who, why would he be? And he's just been really defiant and he's been using his Instagram very forthrightly to be like, I will not stop. And this is a cause I care about. Um, and it's just like such a window into the, uh, just really active uh, racism and like aristocracy that goes along with some of the sort of high end sports of Europe, which include formula one. Um, and And tennis from tennis. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's a driver for Mercedes and Mercedes has been fully supportive of of him. Uh, I mean, it's not hard probably when he's so much better than like almost every other race car driver ever to support him because it also brings in a lot of money, but you know, you never know these old stodgy institutions. And so like his team isn't really supportive, but it's been pretty fascinating to watch him just be, uh, continue to be the best and still like insist on being a really vocal supporter of the black lives matter movement and drawing attention to all, to all of these, to all of the police brutality. And, and it, it's just like, it's weird to say it's cool, but it's exciting to see these high profile people with the platform to, um, be so focused on using it for protest and for awareness. And it's, it's exciting, honestly. I agree. And I, and I just admire, I, I admire anyone who uses their platform. Um, but I especially think it's so hard when you're an individual athlete. It, I mean, it's, it's hard no matter what. And I don't mean to say that it's easier if you're on a team, but I just, I do think if you must feel the weight as a individual of a lot of different things. And I, like, I've always just felt like tennis players and, you know, other individual athletes look so lonely. Maybe that's my only child stuff projecting on of like, wouldn't you like a friend? But I just, I admire the real sense of self and that, and that it requires on top of everything else, because you're already, you already have a lot of eyes and a lot of weight on you. Lewis Hamilton really gives me everything that I want out of a celebrity. He does fancy things. He cares about fashion. He really cares about his political views. Mm-hmm. And he's like seemingly a really nice and genuine person. Like everyone who seems to know Lewis Hamilton really likes him. Um, Formula One racers a couple weeks ago tried to like gang up to like get him to lose this race, but he still won. He's like so good. But I mean, the other drivers lose to him constantly. So that must suck. I mean, he's extremely, extremely dominant. Like the way, you know, Serena was for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but He's just, a, for me, an ideal celebrity. He participates in yacht culture. He is largely <laughs> living around the Mediterranean. He is excellent at what he does. Um, 
And he does like a lot of funny social media. Like he revealed that he uh, did vocals on a Christina Aguilera song like two, like two years after the fact. And he recently like did some Instagram posts celebrating the work of Hans Zimmer, who he visited before the pandemic. Like just like, a lot of random shit. He's a great, great celebrity. Like I just can't recommend him enough in terms of celebrity interests. I also just want to say Naomi Osaka's Instagram includes like her trying to do like the thriller dance with friends in quarantine and it not going well. That's uh, hilarious. And it's like very charming. And she is dating the uh, rapper Corday and they seem to have just like a really lovely young, like young in love relationship. He was there at the U S open his reaction when she wins. Oh my God. It's so great. So, I gotta check that out. I love yeah. a, I love a failed bit dance video. Great stuff. Yeah, it's it's really very good. Uh, and the self awareness also to post it. And I think the caption was just like, "I don't want to talk about it." So I, I I'm I'm thrilled for her and thrilled for Lewis Hamilton, who I don't know that much about. But anyone who enjoys <laughs> yacht season and personal principles is great by me. I was checking out the weather in the south of France today. It looks really nice. It's like okay. 82 degrees and sunny. I, we can't let's, we can't go there. Okay. It's just, it's, <laughs> okay. let's not open it up. Thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to check out Emily Radikowski's piece in New York Magazine. We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.